Coming up, I have some more thoughts on the James Harden trade. We're going to do million-dollar picks with Peter Schrager and break down all the round two playoff games. That is next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Get ready to level up your adventures with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes with all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network where we had a lot of reactions to the James Harden trade yesterday. We mobilized. We love mobilizing when things happen. Ryan Rosillo did a podcast. I was on it with Jackie McMullen. The Ringer NBA show had a live reaction podcast. We had multiple pieces about how it affected the Rockets and the Nets and uh, the Pacers. And uh, You can check all of it out on the ringer.com. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the Harden trade and then Peter Schrager. We're doing million-dollar picks. First, pro jab. All right, I wanted to hit the Harden trade just a little bit more. I talked about it on Marcel's podcast yesterday after it broke just as many quick reactions as we possibly could have. That trade, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere because we knew Harden was going to get traded, but it really seemed like the Lakers game and his effort in that game and how he looked and the vibe on the bench, it just sped everything up. It was a two-horse race. It was Brooklyn and Philly. And I spent most of the day on Wednesday assuming that Philly was going to get him. And it just seemed like they had the one trump card, which was Ben Simmons. It seems like they were engaged in trade talks. And with the Kyrie piece of everything about not knowing when he was going to come back and the fact that it didn't seem like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and, you know, a bunch of picks was going to be enough to get James Harden. It just seemed like a matter of time. All right, Philly's going to get him. Is, is Maxie going to be in the deal? Is it just going to be Tybal and Harden and a bunch of picks? Like, what's it going to be? And then the Brooklyn thing just came out of nowhere. And, you know, the first, the first thought I had thinking about it the last 24 hours and chewing on it is it really is potentially an incredible missed opportunity for Philly that they didn't get him. And I'm not faulting them for getting, not getting him because I think what happened is they're going to go as far as they're going to go. They're not going to pay 150 cents on the dollar. They have a really good team and they have Embiid who's totally engaged and looking like an MVP candidate and a bunch of good assets and they have a chance to make the finals. So you, you're not going to make a panic trade um, if you don't have to. I think Brooklyn was in a different situation. They, they were in full panic trade mode because 
it's year two of the of the Duran experiment. Year one got thrown out because he got hurt. And this was the first full year we were supposed to, to see Durant and Kyrie together. We only got to see it for two weeks. Now the Kyrie status and when he comes back and all that stuff, all that's up in the air. And I really think this was driven by a fear that they were going to lose a second year with KD here. That if they couldn't figure out how to navigate this Kyrie situation, whether he came back or not, whether he was going to be erratic all season, whatever, however it was going to play out, um, they would just miss another window with Durant, who you know has been in the league since 2007. And as we found out with him in the 2019 playoffs, you never know. And from what I heard, Brooklyn just got super aggressive to the point that, uh, you know, they, the amount of picks that they put into this trade and the risk that they were willing to take with a team, you know, in 2025, 26, 27 with some of those swaps and those picks is about as crazy of a risk as you can take when you don't know if you're guaranteed to be a finals team. I think when the Lakers did it, with Anthony Davis, and I thought they overpaid too much even with that. Um, and I said so at the time, and I still feel like they gave up an incredible amount considering they weren't bidding against anybody else. He wanted to go to the Lakers. He had the same agent as LeBron James, and the Lakers was going to be the team. And New Orleans basically extracted as many assets as they possibly could. But when they got Davis, guess what? They had LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they were one of the three best teams, and that was a lock. I don't know if I feel that way about this Nets team, you know, because for some of the stuff we talked about yesterday with Rosillo about having three scorers who are used to all having the ball a ton, we've never really seen that work before. We've seen variations, you know, we've seen Bird, Mikhail, Parrish, um, three stars that complement each other. We've seen Pierce, Ray Allen, KG, where KG took a lot less shots. Ray Allen sacrificed a lot. All those guys sacrificed something. Um, you have Golden State with Durant and Clay Thompson and Curry. Um, Clay sacrificed some shots. Curry was coming up back-to-back MVPs. He sacrificed a little bit. And Durant, who could average 35 points a game if he wanted, he sacrificed a little. I think the, the whole concept of sacrifice becomes harder when it's three guys who love having the ball. And even Durant, some of the stuff he said when he was leaving the Warriors about um, that you know, one of the things he excelled at was getting thrown the ball on the block and doing stuff with it. Well, Kyrie loves having the ball 25 feet from the hoop, having a pick set for him, creating, doing his thing. And Harden excelled the most in an offense where it was just four guys completely spread out watching him. So you have these three guys that are going to have to figure out how do we all succeed when only one of us can have the ball and, and, and for the other two who don't have the ball, what are they doing off the ball to make it work? I think it's not a problem for Durant. He's shown that he's been able to do it over and over again over the years. Um, Harden has not had to play that way in literally seven or eight years. And Kyrie is probably a safer bet to be able to pull it off again than maybe, maybe you'd think just because he did it in Cleveland. He was able to kind of lie there and waiting during games. And then when they needed him to take over for four minutes, he could. My point is, it's it's a huge risk, I think, because I don't know necessarily if this is a championship team. We've just never seen it. It always makes me nervous when somebody's trying something that has never fully succeeded in this form. Even if you add the usage rates up of the three guys, it gets you know to like 90%. You could, the highest you can get is 100%. So 
the reason I, I bring all that stuff up about Brooklyn in the context of Philly is I think if Philly had figured out how to flip Simmons and whatever else for Harden and they got Harden re-engaged with the way Embiid's playing with some of the shooters they have, I, I think they would have been the favorites in the East. I really would have been surprised if Harden um, and Embiid, as long as those two guys could stay healthy, I would have been surprised if they didn't make the finals because the way Embiid's playing this year, he's you know, really motivated and he's the guy we've wanted him to be for the last three years. I think Harden, it could have been reignited and the combo of those two dudes, I think would have been potentially terrifying. I'm not terrified yet with this Brooklyn thing. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with Kyrie's um, status for the rest of the year. What are we getting out of him? What kind of reliability are we getting? Um, now you could argue, could it just be Durant and Harden and a bunch of role players, could that be enough? Yeah, it might be. There's no standout team in the East. Like you look at their team now, Durant, Kyrie Harden, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan who got benched, Landry Shaman who hasn't played that well, TLC, Brown, Jeff Green, and whatever two bio guys they end up getting. Yeah, that could be enough. It was certainly, you wouldn't have guessed that it was enough for Miami last year. Um, I look at that Indiana team and from a talent standpoint, I really like the Indiana team, especially when TJ Warren comes back. I thought they were a stealth contender anyway, and it had a chance to be the 2021 version of the Miami Heat last year in the bubble. But the Sabonis-Brogdon combo has been great. The, when Warren comes back, having Levert in a, as a more stable version of what they wanted from Old Depot, uh, somebody who's not in a contract here, the two holidays, McDermott, Miles Turner, who's been really good this year, Summer, Sumner's been good, and, uh, and McConnell, that's... To me, that's a that's a really good playoff team, um, and I'm almost as excited to see them as I was to to see this weird Brooklyn experiment. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of moving pieces with this stuff in terms of I want to sit in front of a television and just see how this looks. With Indiana, it's a lot easier to envision because Levert just goes in. Houston's going to be a mess, and I think that was another piece of the trade that maybe worked against Philly, as we talked about the, the missed opportunity for Philly here. Philly's going to be good. You know, you're, you're getting Philly picks and pick swaps and you have the combination of Embiid, who's a superstar entering his prime, a bunch of other solid assets. And you have Daryl, who, when he was in Houston, always figured out how to compete no matter who was on his team. So if you're just looking at it from Houston's perspective, what has a better chance to crater and bottom out? It's got to be Brooklyn. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons the picks were so appealing to them. Harden only under contract for, you know, another two years and Durant could get out of there after year four, all that stuff. Um, I'm sure that was hard to compete against. I think the key with Houston, two things, why, why I think they're actually blowing it up. No Jared Allen. They didn't keep him. Now they would have had to pay him after the year, but they just decided they'd rather have a pretty crummy pick over keeping him. And then they wanted Old Depot in a walk year versus three years of the vert. All of that points to a team that looks like they're going to really try to gut themselves and start over, which will put them in the same position as Oklahoma city. So again, none of this is Philly's fault. I do think they try to get too cute. I think there were moments during this, the last three, four weeks, especially when Harden, I'm sorry, especially when Kyrie and Durant looked really good coming out of the gate, that maybe that's when Philly could have, could have jumped on this. But, uh, it's it's a bummer because I, I think I think Harden on Philly would have been really something. So Harden's Houston legacy quickly. 
he 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 was there eight seasons plus the the really crummy three weeks he had this time. 2018 MVP. He had six top five MVP finishes, three second place MVPs, one third place. He was six first team All NBAs. He was the highest non MJ or Wilt scorer ever for one season. He led the league in scoring and assists separately. He reinvented the threes and free throws thing and basically started a revolution with that, became the prototype for this is, if you do these two things at a high level, you're going to be really successful and maybe you don't need anything else. He was in one of the most famous what if trades ever in 2012, which is a trade that I think is one of the three or four greatest what ifs in the history of the league. He perfected the step back three and the Euro step. Two things that were kind of lingering around, but he was the one that really popularized it. And I think the effect he's had on younger players with with those moves, um, you know, is going to speak for itself over the next 20, 25 years, whether you hate it or not. Um, incredible durability. If you look at all the guys starting with the 2012-13 season, he led the league in points, minutes, free throw attempts, free throws, and win shares just for that whole time, because, mainly because he was really durable. He got market corrected by Steph and the Warriors in a lot of different ways, right? If if they don't get Durant in 2016, he's in the finals at least one of those years. Um, and just in general, they were always kind of the slightly inferior version of the Warriors during that whole stretch, even before Durant got there. And then I, I think you go down with that run he had um, and you look at that team in general, that team was really close. There's no shame in that. And that's why I defended Daryl um, you know, because it's no shame in having the third best team for a few NBA seasons in a row and a team that came really close a couple of times to winning it all. I think they'll end up that, that Harden Rockets era will go in a group with like the eighties Milwaukee Bucks, the nineties Blazers, the early 2000s Sacramento Kings, the mid 2000s Suns, those teams that they were almost there. They're really memorable. I remember Chris Connolly, you like to use the word critically acclaimed the critically acclaimed team. In this case, the critics kind of hated watching the Rockets, but um, what they were able to do short of winning a championship was they, they were really influential. So all of that's great. Now, we talked when we did the Book of Basketball par- podcast on Harden last year, me and Zach Lowe, we talked about um, how his pl- playoff resume was basically the elephant in the room. He had a basic no-show in the 2012 finals. He was really bad in that series, and people have always thought that was one of the reasons he got traded. Uh, since 2013, he was 3-8 and eight in Houston's elimination games. Uh, stats were not great. He got knocked out of the playoffs at home in three straight postseasons. The 2015 Clipper series, that game six, the famous Josh Smith-Corey Brewer comeback game, Harden was on the bench all the time. He was 5-20 for 20 in an in a, in a elimination game and was sitting on the bench with a towel on his head. 2017 against San Antonio game six, two for 11, 10 points. Uh, And people were wondering, does this guy have a concussion? 2018 against Golden State, those last two losses, he was six for 25 from three, 22 for 51 field goals, 14 turnovers in two games that could have sent them to the title. And then in the uh, 2019 game six, which is the Steph Curry game, as we came to know it, where they don't have Durant and Curry just goes into Houston and they clinch the finals again. And he's just unbelievable in the second half of that game. Harden had 35 points, 11 for 25. So that was probably the best one. Then last year with the Lakers, 
they win the first game and they're just awful the rest of the series and they have no fight and you could see them giving up as it went along. This stuff's always going to be mentioned with Harden. It just is. It's going to be mentioned the same way that with George Gervin on the Spurs, it was always going to be mentioned how with Julius Irving on the Sixers, if they didn't win that title in 83, it always would have been thrown in his face that on the Sixers, he never came through in the postseason when it mattered. What's interesting, and I, I made this point on the Rosilla pot, I'm going to make it again. Going to the Nets kind of removes his fatal flaw, right? You know, on, on that book of basketball podcast I did, Zach compared him to Carl Malone, which I was really jealous of because it's like, this guy's the Carl Malone of guards. You, year after year, incredible resume, first team on NBA as an MVP, uh, clearly one of the best five, six players in the league, but in the playoffs, you don't trust them. You don't know what you're going to get. And the playoff performance doesn't seem to match the regular season performance for whatever reason. I think with Malone and Harden, there was a similarity why that was the case where, um, you know, the more you played this Rockets team in a series, if you played them seven times in two weeks, you kind of got used to what they were doing. And versus like, if you're catching them in your third game in four nights, um, and all of a sudden they're throwing this weird offense at you and it's just a little weirder. This is the same thing with Malone and Stockton where they'd run that methodical pick and roll and, uh, you know, the half court offense, slow it down. If you saw it for one game, it, you know, it's a little different than when you're just seeing it every day over the course of two weeks. Now he goes to Brooklyn where he can just be good in the first 44 minutes of the game. Last four minutes, he can just, they can put him in the corner and he could, he could basically be in one corner and Joe Harris could be in the other corner. Kyrie, who's one of the secret great closers we've had at, at the guard position ever. And then Durant, who's the best scoring forward of all time. Maybe Harden ends up being the third option on this team. As crazy as that sounds, this guy's one of the best offensive players of all time. But if I'm in a playoff series and I'm playing Miami or I'm playing Boston or I'm playing Indiana, it's the last three minutes of a game. I'm picking him third to, 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 to be the person I want to run the offense through. I want to get, I want to go through Durant and I want to go through Kyrie if he's feeling it. And then with Harden, um, he almost becomes a luxury. And the, the ironic thing is maybe that's perfect for him. Maybe that, maybe that's the way he's gonna, he's gonna have to win the title. So, uh, so that was another thing I thought of the, the then it's like with the nets, just fundamentally, is this a team that can beat the Lakers? And I thought about this a lot. I think the Lakers are prohibitive favorites if they can stay healthy. If you are going to beat them, you almost have to be a little kooky, right? You almost have to be the way the 2018 Rockets were with the Warriors, where they're playing this style that is so discombobulating that it almost allowed them to beat a team that they weren't better than. The 2018 Warriors had more talent. Didn't matter. They, they came damn close. And if they had hit enough threes in one of those last two games, they would have won. Maybe that's what happens here. You know, maybe the way to beat the Lakers would be a really weird team like this one, where you have these three incredible offensive players, Harris as a lights out three point shooter, and you're just kind of bombarding them four to seven times. I, the prototype, I guess, would be the 2017 Cavs. I think this team has a higher ceiling for them offensively, but Durant's in the LeBron role, Kyrie is Kyrie, Harden as the Kevin Love. And then, uh, and then Joe Harris, you're going to lose a lot on defense. And I, I think the defensive piece of this is what would worry me the most if I was a Nets fan, um, because they're already, Durant's already logging a ton of minutes and he's going to have to be their crucial defender. He's going to have to guard the best guy in the other team every game, whether it's Jimmy Butler 
um, he might have to guard Sabonis, uh, Jason Tatum, clearly LeBron if there's ever a series with that. So unless they address that with some move that I don't see, that's a big burden on Durant coming off a torn Achilles and all the stuff that's happened to him. But so on the one hand, I don't think they're a guaranteed contender, which would have made me so nervous to give up all those picks. And, and by guaranteed contender, I mean put them in the finals. They're playing the Lakers. I don't feel that way. On the other hand, them at their best is the East best chance to beat the Lakers this year. So that's why I was so it's such a fascinating trade. The 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 hardened piece about him throwing away these first couple weeks of the season, that's just gonna go on his resume. It's just it's it has to be mentioned. And people are very forgiving with this stuff and they forget. They certainly forgot with Vince Carter in two thousand four when uh when he basically decided to stop playing hard for Toronto until they traded him. That stuff fades away over time. But it's not a great way if you're one of the best 35, 40 players of all time. It's just not a great thing to have on your resume. Last thing I had, I was just thinking about, had Durant gone to Boston in 2016. And I caught him on different podcasts saying at one point he did really think about it. Then it was never going to happen. He just would have stayed in OKC, whatever. I think the if he goes to Boston in 2016, it's kind of incredible how much the league changes. Because first of all, I think the Warriors probably make a run at Al Horford or they just keep Harrison Barnes. Either way, they're weaker. The Celtics could have potentially ended up with KD and then Kyrie a year later, and you would have had the KD-Kyrie combo anyway. Um, I think the Cavs, it would have been neck and neck with them in the Warriors because the 2017 Cavs were better than the 2016 Cavs. I really believe that. So you could argue they could have gone back to back. Hayward probably stays in Utah, and maybe they don't get Donovan Mitchell, so there's a whole bunch of what-ifs that come out of that. Maybe the Rockets steal a title if Durant's not in Houston. Maybe they steal that 2018 title. It's certainly been a great time to catch the Cavs and whoever. Um, does KD ever get hurt? Who knows? The KD on Boston with then Tatum and Brown showing up just would have been, I just there would have been anything like it. Three forwards that are interchangeable at defense like that. Um, you could argue that those four plus years from 2016 on just would have been a lot more fun than it than it turned out. Where 2017 and 18, the finals were basically foregone conclusions, and uh, I guess 2019 was really fun. I, I take that back. 2019 was great. Does Toronto roll the dice with Kawhi if Durant doesn't go there? I don't know. And then what does Brooklyn like look like? Does Brooklyn? Are they even in the mix if if KD doesn't go to the Warriors and there's whether he goes to Boston, whether he stays in OKC for a year, who knows? Um, it's just a whole bunch of what ifs coming out of that summer, especially when you talk about the cap bumping and, um, and then everything that unfolds. And now we end up with the incredible situation where Durant, Harden, and Westbrook, they're all together. They're all kids in OKC. They make the finals. They trade Harden. And we go, what if, what if, what if for the next few years? Amazingly, Westbrook ends up with Harden. It goes terribly after a year, and now Harden's with Durant. And then it seems like the natural conclusion would just be to flip Kyrie for Westbrook. They would never do that, but they would. There might be an outside shot of all three of these guys in the same team. Stranger things have happened, but we always wondered what would have been like with Harden and Durant and Russ. Um, the Harden that we have now versus the six-man Ginobili 2.0 type guy he was in OKC, and. I guess now we're going to find out. 
So fascinating basketball trade. I mean, every time we think we've had the most fascinating basketball trade, we have another one. And it's clear that teams just do not value picks anymore, that um, they realize that there's eight to 10 uh, difference-making players every year. And if you can get one of those eight to 10 guys in a 30-team league, you do whatever you can. We will see if the Davis thing with the Lakers, the fact that it worked out for them, whether that was an aberration or whether this is the plan that everybody should have. Anyway, fascinating trade. Cannot wait to watch Harden and Durant together on the same team. This is really, uh, this has been quite a basketball season. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Peter Schrager and do Million Dollar Picks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and... They're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, Peter Schrager is here. You know him from Good Morning Football and from some of the Fox stuff. You also know him as the good luck charm of Million Dollar Picks. Every time he comes on, I win money. Last week, I promised I was going to do well last week. We made $147,000. We're only down $85,000 for the season now. And I like this week too. Um, Before we get to this week though, Biggest surprise for you for last week? The way Pittsburgh started. I mean, you had it. You said that you thought Cleveland was going to win. I don't think you had it in that fashion. Pittsburgh, um, one of the all-time worst performances I've ever seen from a team coming out of the gates. Uh, ben Roethlisberger looked 100 years old. And the fact that they were down 28 nothing before the game even started, after watching five games of football and being upset by the Bengals two weeks ago in similar fashion, I have no idea how they couldn't be motivated and ready to play that game. I guess I don't know what a team's record is when the game starts with the center snapping the ball seven feet over the quarterback's head, followed by the quarterback just kind of uneasily circling the ball over just following it. And I've never seen a worse play that was a worse omen to start a game. And yet you go back and you think like if they don't punt on fourth and one and they get that, they're down. It's a one score game. And I, I felt like they had so much momentum and the Browns were gassed and you know, as we think about the the Browns this week and the lesson of round two is always don't overreact to round one. Yep. Um, Hold your horses. Don't overreact. Fi- <laughs> Steelers fired their offensive coordinator. They didn't pick up his contract, so he's gone. But you're right. Yeah. It's, you know, you go into the fourth quarter. It's a situation where you're like, all right, we're rolling. It could be a one-score game. And it's fourth and one in the Browns' territory. And then Tomlin rolls out the punter, and Vrabel did it earlier in the day. Yeah. And you're like, all the analytics and all this thing, like, and then they still, and Vrabel's actually good with the analytics. Historically, he does it well, and he's got a guy there. And like, even then, fourth and two with Derrick Henry behind him, they're like, no, nah, we'll punt. And then you don't, you don't win. That's not just not how it works. Yeah. So as I look, as I look toward round two and trying to get the picks, now we picked. We picked the winner of every single game last week. You but did. we only went four I, I two against the spread. No, I mean during that segment, <laughs> yeah. we had all six winners. Yeah, my my rule with the playoffs is always don't pick the underdog unless you think they actually have a chance to win. So the two underdogs, we ended up taking with the Rams and the Browns. We argued about the Browns Steelers, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
I still feel the same way about round two. Do not take an underdog unless you really think they can beat them. So if you're taking the Browns plus 10 against the Chiefs, you, it can't be a thing where you're like, ah, I like the points. <laughs> it's so many. You really have to, like, talk yourself into a Brown scenario. So we'll get to that game. I wanted to go over the playoff manifesto with you, though. Yes, I love Some it. of the rules, because there's some good rules in place. Rule number one of the playoff manifesto is beware of the looked a little too good the previous round team. Now, I think the Browns do qualify, even though if you really think hard about that game, they were scrambling the last two and a half quarters. <laughs> um, the Ravens, to me, are the team this week that – People are fired up about that Bills line has dropped to Bills minus two and a half. The Bills were a team we were all sending the Super Bowl a week ago. And the Ravens, the 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 consensus thought here is they're back. Lamar's back. They got it. They got this. Different Ravens. And yet, they only scored 20 points last week against Tennessee. Points. Why are the Ravens back? Why are we saying this? 20 points and, and you know, you want to go, they were down 10, nothing in this game. And Lamar threw yet another terrible pick in, in that one early. And if it wasn't for the defense being a way to completely suffocate Derrick Henry, they might not be able to get out of that 10, nothing hole. I, you know, the Ravens have all the hype right now and we'll get to the game, but you're right. Manifesto wise out of the four teams that won last week in advance, for sure. The Ravens are the one that everyone is suddenly jumping on. It's weird. I, I look, Lamar's lovable. I think people like Lamar. He's really exciting. And it's a classic. I watched the whole game. That game was a lot closer than I think people realized. The Tannehill pick at the end, even though I didn't feel like he was gonna come through. You know, the guy the guy, what did he trip? He fell yeah, down, whatever that happened. Corey Davis is out with an injury, who's their number two. So Khalif Raymond, number fourteen, goes in for the Titans. They they've been throwing to AJ Brown all game. Raymond slips. Peters is there, intercepts it, and that's how the game ends. Are you buying the whole why isn't Wink Martindale getting a little yeah. more of a little more yeah. shine here in the head coaching search? Yeah. What else does he have to do? Big advocate of it. I know it's like a, a thing right now, but um, I, look, I, I'm not paid by any of these agents. I don't deal with them. I have no dog in this fight. The guy's 57 year old and he has a mullet, and we're seeing position coaches. From the Patriots, we're seeing Kellen Moore, we're seeing Jason Garrett. Like these guys are all getting interviews. Wink Martindale's phone did not ring the last two weeks for an interview, not one interview. And I know on uh, on very good sourcing that he interviewed with the Giants last year and came very close to getting the Giants job because he blew them away in the interview. But uh, those players, like I got texts from a few of those players. Um, after I said something on our show about Wink and how they shut down Derrick Henry and Arthur Smith has an interview with every single team this week, the Titans offensive coordinator, yet Wink's defense completely silenced them. Those players, it's kind of the same deal that you see with uh, a Brian Flores or some of these other defensive coaches where those defensive players will run through a wall for him. So mm. I think there's act that actually might play a role in this week too. Like I think those players might be motivated by the fact that their guy – 57 years old and and been great for the last several years with them has not gotten a single interview to be a head coach. It's a little Mike Zimmery, right? When Mike Zimmer forever and ever couldn't get a head coaching job, then got it and was good the first year yeah. with Minnesota. Ron Rivera too. If you remember, Ron Rivera interviewed like nine times and yeah. could not get a job and then finally got one and was a coach of the year twice. Hmm. All right. Well, that's that's one rule. Another rule is the don't talk yourself into a nobody believes in us team unless you got a really good reason. I would say the Rams are probably the nobody believes in us team this year because of the whole quarterback situation, which we'll get to the Browns. 
technically could talk themselves into a big picture nobody believes in us thing because they were counted out last week. They came through and now they're playing the Chiefs. They're 10 point underdogs and and I guess they could do it, but nobody believes in the Browns because they're the Browns. Yeah. And they're they, playing the Chiefs, you know, yeah. And they're playing the Chiefs. So I don't I don't feel like that qualifies this week. Uh, when in doubt, gravitate toward one pick that would screw over the most gamblers and experts and would definitely go against the single worst gambler you know. <laughs> now, it's only Thursday, and kudos to me for basically being even for the season, picking all the games on Thursday during the COVID season. I, I think it's one of the great achievements of my, greatest achievements <laughs> of my career. Um, my career. But uh, the, the, it seems like the Bucks might be that pick but it's too early. It feels like there's a lot of people. First of all, that line hasn't moved. Most of the money is on the bucks. It seems like right now it's like a, a 60, 40 split, but then even more of that's on the bucks. And it seems like that's the one people are pointing to. If they could only take one underdog this week, it would be the Ravens or bucks, but the bucks because of the saints, because of breeze with the 11 broken ribs that he recovered from just in general, they didn't look great against the bears last week. The bet the bears are kind of weirdly in that game. Yep. And I feel like by Sunday, the Bucks will be this pick. What do you think? I agree with you. I think the Bucks are hot. Obviously, we've been talking about that for weeks, but also the elements. This is indoors. There's no fans. Brady has no excuse here. This isn't him, you know, 43 years old, walking into Lambeau in frigid temperatures. And it's like, all right, this is lined. And they've lost twice to him. So the, the old adage says it's very hard to beat a team three times in a one season. I think the money might go very heavily towards the Bucks. All right. Well, we'll get to the case of the Saints in a second. So we had to tweak. Oh, rule rule number 11 is don't ever talk yourself into a terrible QB ever for any reason. Yeah. Came through last week with Trubisky in a beautiful way. Um, yeah. did not come through with Washington because Alex Smith didn't play. And I, I actually would have been scared enough of Heineke that I don't know. I don't know how like eagerly I would have taken bucks minus eight and a half. Cause it, like you, I watched that one game when he played, it was like, ah, this guy can actually do a couple things. It was more like, I really thought if Alex Smith was playing, the bucks were winning by a hundred. And then and I think the Washington realized that. Yeah. They were like, oh yeah, we actually can't play this guy. Rule number 13. Um, I have to tweak this a little bit. We take Andy Reid out. Um, had to add a relationship twist. This is important. Bloodlines. Before you wager on a team, make sure Marty Schottenheimer, Herm Edwards, Wade Phillips, North Turner, Dan Quinn, John Fox, Jason Garrett, anyone named Mike, anyone described as Andy Reid's people, anyone with the last name Moore, or anyone related to any of these people is not involved. Well, we had Schottenheimer last week and then Turner. So the, the bloodlines were 0-2 last week, right? Yeah, Schottenheimer got fired after the game. Yeah. So, I mean, it, Schottenheimer's son, Brian Schottenheimer, was the OC in Seattle. And then Scott Turner, North Turner's son, was the one trying to figure it out with Heineke. They yeah. covered, but they lost. Yeah. Um, and then don't try to be a hero. Just try to win money, which is another mm -hmm. one. All right, one more mm -hmm. thing for you. So, double-digit wins in round two. In the old days there would always be at least two blowouts. And then it got a little, little wonky there for a couple of years. Last four years, 2016, two of the four double digit wins. 2017, one, 2018, we had two last year. We had three. Wow. So we know we're going to have a double digit win out of these four. It seems like the chiefs Browns is just the easiest possible pick for this. Um, our friend Connor shell, who huge chiefs fan. He thinks the line of this game should be 20. He's like, mark it down chiefs by 20 plus the chiefs 
we'll get to them in a second and we'll get to this matchup in a second. But is, is that is that the overwhelming favorite for this? Or do you feel like there's some Rams Packers put blowout potential? I think it's got to be the Chiefs. They're home at Arrowhead after a week off with no one talking about them and watching Aaron Rodgers get the MVP parade. And then the last point, like they were down 24 nothing last year to the Texans. And they won 51-31. They won by 20. Like, they're just so punishing. Even if you get a little lead, they find a way. So I think the the Chiefs with the experience and all that, they are your overwhelming favorite to have the big blowout win. Okay. Um, and Connor so, also said the Browns had their Super Bowl last week, which I don't even know what that means. Hey, he's not wrong. Sometimes the team can win the one game and, and you know, they're getting the congratulatory calls for two days, yeah. huge celebration in the locker room. And then it's like, oh, oh shit, here's Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. All right, Chiefs let's fans, go. You're talking about Chiefs fans. They're, they're oddly like confident. Every fan I know is like such a doomsday fan. I grew up in New Jersey and everyone in New York and obviously you in Massachusetts. The Chiefs fans are like optimistic and positive and like always just very proud and confident on their team since they won this the Super Bowl. Must be nice. Must be nice. All right, round two. First game is Packers-Rams. Let's go. Man, this looks bad for the Rams. And I really, I came out of round one being like, I am excited to maybe ride this Rams train because maybe they're, I said to Sal on Sunday night, their defense is better than anyone else does anything in the NFC. That would be the case. Well, Aaron Donald is hurt. He got hurt during that game. He's got some sort of rib. They're, they're super secretive about it. But all I know is he came out of a playoff game and we didn't really see him again. And anyone who thought he was uh, the Terminator, uh, a, a robot cyborg uh, assassin, it turns out he's human. It turns out he has bones and tissue like, like, yeah. like us. Um, <laughs> I don't think he'll be a hundred percent. The question is, will he be like 80%? Will he be 70%? What are you hearing in Aaron Donald? I think he's going to be just fine from what, from what I'm hearing, rest him all week. Um, McVay calls him the Terminator as you alluded to. And oh, he really uh, does. I, I didn't even he know call, that. Yeah, he calls uh, him the Terminator. He says the Terminator will be out there. So they're assuming he's going to be able to go full strength and they're not going to be pulling him from the lineup. But what they liked was last week when he came out, their defense got even better. It was like Morgan Fox started playing unbelievable. Leonard Floyd was everywhere, and they were getting production from those guys that were filling in. So uh, Donald is, and Roger said it this week, and I thought it was kind of interesting to hear it from a guy who himself is a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he was like, Aaron Donald is a first ballot Hall of Famer already if he never plays another game. I'm like, that is wow. such high praise for a guy who's still in his 20s. But he is, he might be the best defensive tackle we've ever seen the sport, play the sport. Honestly, he's that good and that destructible to an offensive line, um, but he should be fine and ready to go. He is on the short list for me. I've been watching football since the mid seventies and LT is always going to be the best defensive sure. player I ever saw. It's like a Jordan thing. It's like, all right, you're going to have to top LT and, and I, it's, it's going to be a road game for you because LT for me is a home game. I just think he's the best, but there's that, the next group of guys, I just think Aaron Donald's on it, whatever that short list is. And I think Reggie white had a few years there where he was just completely out of control. And, um, but it, there seems to be a guy every five years, Aaron Donald's the guy now, but he's on the short list. And however many people on that list is really up to the person. So he's hurt. You're saying he might be fine. Cooper Cup also hurt. What's the deal with him? I think he'll be all right. So you're doing two think he'll be all right. Okay. Yeah. I don't like that two of their like six most essential guys are hurt. Having practice. Yeah. Goff, 
we got to talk this one out. So, yeah, let's do it. So Aikman, <laughs> in the first quarter of that game, basically tips off that McVay was just out. Wolford was a better option for them at this point in the season. Now, golf, broken thumb, no broken thumb. Um, it seemed like Aikman was trying, because these, it's always, I always try to read between the lines when the announcers are recounting their conversations with the coach. We talked, and then, uh, we talked to Sean McVay, yeah. Yeah, and they're trying to paraphrase it to some degree. They're trying to gain the intelligence from it, but not say, Sean McVay told us he's done with Guff. It's more <laughs> like, you know, and I, I think if you watch the Rams, I'm doing Troy right now. If you watch the Rams the last half of the season, I just think Goff didn't play well, and I think McVay lost confidence in Goff. So he's pretending like he didn't just talk to Sean McVay for 45 minutes and then does the whole excited. And I think they really like what they have with Wolford. I think he opens up their offense and blah, blah, blah. So I was listening like, wow, Goff's done. He's never playing another game. And then Wolford gets uh, nailed by Jamal Adams. All of a sudden, Goff comes in with his broken thumb. But to me, the fact that McVay gave up on Goff, whether he's ever going to say that publicly or not, is a really telling point for this game because Goff still has a broken thumb with the pins in it. And it's going to be cold. They're playing in Green Bay. Yeah. It's 35 degrees. Yeah. That game last week, they're up 6-3. They get a pick six touchdown. Now they're up awesome 10. Play. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're up 10. Now all they have to do is run the ball and occasionally play action it. And he just has to like send passes to wide open guys. I if they fall behind by seven, I think it's over. Could Would be, be my case. All right. So Could. talk so talk me out of being terrified of Jared Goff and Lambo with a broken right. thumb. Before we get to Goff, we'll get there. I, the McVeigh LaFleur thing is really interesting. Okay. OK, so in 2010, these guys meet each other. They're both low level assistants with the Redskins and it's a Mike Shanahan coach team. And McVeigh's like a 25 year old kid living in a townhouse. And across the street is LaFleur and his wife, Bree. And McVeigh literally was the third wheel, like would go over there and would sleep on their couch and would have dinner with them. And anytime they went out to Bennigan's or Chili's, they would bring McVeigh around. He was a little younger, like whatever. Um, they go their separate ways. They do their things. McVeigh then gets the head coaching job a few years later with the Rams, and he poaches LaFleur to be his offensive coordinator. So now LaFleur reports to McVeigh. Yeah. And it's just a really interesting dynamic. And last year at something called the owners' meetings, which is basically every owner, every head coach, every GM goes to some sunny resort in Florida or Arizona. Um, McVeigh asked me if I wanted to go out to lunch with him and LaFleur. I'm like, yeah, obviously. And then the fourth guy at the table was Jason Wallers, who's the Packers um, PR guy. We're sitting there, and it was Daniel Jones's pro day. And it's mm. on the big screen TV at the, at the hotel, the Biltmore down in Arizona. And to hear these guys talk football, and I don't, I can't talk for shit with these guys of football. I, I'm not, that's not my forte. I would never say I'm the all 22 guy. They're breaking down Daniel Jones's pro day at Duke. And it's like listening to another language, but they spoke it together. And if you watch what they do, it's a lot of the same stuff. And it's a lot of the same uh, formations, pre-snap and all the stuff. One guy has Aaron Rodgers. The other guy has Jared Goff. Yet McVeigh and, and LaFleur, like, McVeigh knows the LaFleur offense and LaFleur knows whatever Sean's running on offense right now, but like who knows what that offense is? I would just say all the stuff that's working for Green Bay, McVeigh knows it and he knows that Brandon Staley, his defensive coordinator, is going to sit and study it. So what might have been working lights out for the Packers for the entire season 
it's not new to Sean McVay and it's not new to their defensive coordinator. If anything, I think that might give them the advantage. And last year, when LaFleur had to play Shanahan two times in the regular season and in the playoffs, you saw their offense. It got completely shut down and Shanahan and the 49ers were able to dominate the Packers. It would be an argument saying... Rodgers is amazing. He's the X factor, but all the funky stuff that they've been doing, McVay's a step ahead anyway. Yeah. See, this is where I'd, I'd, I'd want to go super nerdy for a second with the football stuff. Like I wonder what it is specifically, because it's almost like a cheat code, right? You develop yeah. a cheat code. And if you're playing this team that doesn't understand your cheat code, well, I'll, gi- I'll give you one little aspect of it, which I think we might see. And it's, it's stuff that um, the football defensive coordinator types always talk about. You've got Devonte Adams who, by by far is the best wide receiver in football. And that comes from NFL defensive over, coordinators. Over Diggs? I think over Diggs right now. Okay. I, this guy, what he can do um, from anywhere, outside, slot, everything. And I had a coach, not either one of these guys, tell me, you know, you guys on your Good Morning Football show, you, you talk about DeAndre Hopkins and DK Metcalf and, Deon- and Devontae Adams in the same conversation. That's beyond insulting to Devontae Adams. That's how much better he is than those guys. Yeah. So what you'd think is you would put Ramsey on him and say, okay, let's isolate the two of them and then let's let Marquez Valdez-Scantling beat us. What you might see from the Brandon Staley defense, which is what the Rams have done a lot this year, is you put Ramsey on Valdez-Scantling. Oh, this is a Belichick trick. You just completely take out the number two receiver, yeah. And then you double-team Adams with Darius yeah. Williams and Troy Hill. And then you say, okay, pick your poison. You're not going to, and that might be what you see. So whereas other teams have tried to like line up their number one with Devonte Adams, you won't win, but they've got a, they've got a defense in place that I think they can do it. And in the chess match deal, LaFleur knows McVay might do that. So then how does he adjust to do it off of that? So mm. I love the mind That's games. Good. I love the relationships, but like, I, I don't know if Adams goes nuts against this Rams defense. I don't know if if he would um, against another defense, but this one particular with Ramsey and Darius Williams and them kind of knowing the offense, I don't know. Well, they have the Aaron Jones piece too. Although Cam Henry looked good last week, but uh, uh, Jones is, I just think he's can be electric. He can he's like great. take over a quarter, stuff like that. So uh, the entire argument you made about why that could be bad for the Packers offense I would argue it's even worse for the Rams yeah. offense because yeah. they're running an offense that the other team knows, but they're running it with Jared Goff and injured Cooper cup. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, this, my buddy Gus always had a, how many points are they going to score role with some of these games? And it's like, can the Rams get to 14 points without a turnover? That would worry me though. Warm weather say. team, warm weather team and cold weather. It, and it, then it does it, on paper, it looks terrible. Here's what I would say they had it, and you mentioned it, I think, um, with Cousin Sal, but they had a whole offense, and Aikman said it on the broadcast, whole offense set for Walford, like crazy gimmicks and run option. And then he gets his neck, you know, whatever, shattered, he's out. Um, that offense, I wonder if we start seeing, and then once Goff came in, it was like, we got to run the most vanilla stuff and just get yeah. through this game. Now they got a full week, and I don't know if it's been announced anywhere else, and I have no problem telling you here on this podcast. You're not going to see Walford. on. He's too no, hurt. They, like they he, announced it. Goff's they announced starting. it. He's out. Yeah. yeah. So he's out. Well, and, you know, and the backup's going to be Blake Bortles. So Blake Bortles. If you're betting on the Rams, you're betting on a Goff-Bortles combo. And then, and, you know, the emergency quarterback is Hacker. Um, so that's what Jesus. you're looking at. But I would say – McVay's got a deep playbook and you might see Robert Woods throwing the ball. You might see reverses. You might see Cam Akers throwing the ball. You might see wildcat. Like there's a, there's a chance you see a crazy offense 
from the Rams because McVay knows going in, we're not going to win with Jared throwing 35 times. Um, there's also a make- chance. There's also yeah. a chance I would never forgive myself for the rest of my life if I bet on Jared Goff and it's 30 degrees outside in Lambeau and he's got pins in his thumb. But would that you sounds have, like would you, the worst would you idea the same of all thing, time. Would you have said the same thing last week if we told you straight up before Walford was injured, Jared Goff in Seattle against Russell Wilson? Would you say the so, same thing? I would have, I would not have said the same thing because I felt like the Rams defense could actually win the game. Cause I didn't believe in Seattle's offense. I really liked sure. the matchup for them. And I, we'd seen it already in this case, Rogers, Adams, Jones, those are three elite offensive players, you know? And I also think if they can just get a lead, like if I'm, if I have the Rams and I'm down 10, mm-hmm. I, I might as well turn the game off. You know, it, it has to play out like it did last week, which means you need a whole turnover up Rogers thing. You need, yeah, you need like a Rogers fall apart game, special teams, mistakes from the Packers. I would say, I, that I, I don't see that with Rogers this year. I, I, I think he's locked in. I don't think he's going to have a fuck up game. Bakhtiari, who's their star left tackle, is out in this one. They played one game without him. They put Billy Turner, Turner at left tackle, and they were fine against the Bears. Um, you're just hoping for a defensive freak show. That's what it is. And yeah. that, that somehow the Rams win this game 16-13, and they do it on a field goal in the last seconds in Lambeau. And, and, Farm- and, a, and a Rusty Rogers and, and a Rusty Rogers. The, the Rams front line, really. And then the, the announcers going, man, Rogers just looks uncomfortable. He just does look like himself. I just think he's had too good of a season to have a shit show of a game against Jared Goff. I don't want to bet on that. So they're, they're only six and a half. I know. Um, he had, which which, by the way, means you can tease them. Yeah. He had a bad game against the the giants the year they went 15 and one, the hockey Knicks Hail Mary game. So it's happened. It's happened. And then they, they lost to Kaepernick one year, but Rogers didn't play bad. It was freezing. I was at that game um, in the first, in the division or the wild card round. So he's lost two playoff games in Lambeau. So it's not this crazy thought. And then you throw in that there's no fans and you know what it's four o'clock. It's not, night. I don't know. You can make an argument that the Rams have a shot here, but you would be within reason to say that just Aaron Rodgers losing to Jared Goff is just not going to happen this year. Losing to Jared Goff with pins in his thumb. Yeah. Yeah. So last year they beat the Seahawks at home in round two. They kind of outlasted them. And then the 49ers was when it fell apart. Uh, I'm going to mark down the Rams for this. I, I I just can't in good conscience, but I, I have a couple of fun wrinkles of that. We're going to take a break and talk about the other three. Okay. Second Saturday game, Bill's Ravens. Awesome game. Awesome. Right? Great How good night. is this? I guess it's just a fantastic game. One of the be- like, better Saturday night games I think we've had. Like so good. And, and I, like two cool fan bases that are like really like not the same old teams. Like I love this. This is good. Usually this was Patriots against like the Texans, forty-five to ten. Exactly right. So a couple things. We mentioned how the Ravens scored twenty points against Tennessee's terrible defense, and everybody uh, had a jerk-off fest about it. (laughs) Um, Round one was, and everything goes wrong for the Bills game. The Colts were lights out. Mm-hmm. The only mistakes they made were like game management things. Decisions, yeah. Rivers, Rivers was perfect the whole game, which is incredible. The receivers didn't have dumb drops. Um, they had 450 yards in offense. The Bills didn't play that well. And Josh Allen did some young Elway plays and they kind of pulled it out. My first question is, 
if we believe in the Bills, which I think we both do, and we yep. really did last week, I don't think they're capable of playing two blah games in a row. I think they got their blah game out of the way. So if you're telling me they're going to play another blah game, then that means this the, the last 10 weeks were a lie. Because mm-hmm. if they're a really good team, they're not going to suck two weeks in a row. And they kind of sucked last week. They did. And Allen had a near terrible mistake, that fumble that... Oh, God. Gosh. Daryl Williams, number 75, didn't get any pub this week, but he might have saved the Bills' season. He's the big offensive tackle who chased the ball down and fell on it somehow. Because that ball would have been Colts down three, fourth quarter at the Bills' 40, and who knows what would have happened. Um, Allen, I thought, was unbelievable at the end of the first half with those passes to Gabriel Davis. And I thought Beasley was gutsy, all that stuff. Um, What if that is the Bills, though? Like, the... The Ravens are going to bleed the clock and dominate the ball if they can. Like, if it comes out and it's Ravens finally get a good start in one of these playoff games and get a lead and just just run the ball with Dobbins and Edwards and Lamar and behind Pat Ricard, it, it could be that game that we were talking about last week for the Bills where you look up with the two-minute warning and it's 7-3 Bills and you're like, wait, well, where did the first half go? And in the second half, it might just be one of those grinded out, wait for a defensive play. And that one really gives the Ravens the advantage. I consider that point. Um, Here's the thing. I'm not sold that Baltimore can score a lot of points against any playoff caliber type team. Now, Buffalo's defense did not look good last week. But the blueprint of it, you know, control the ball, cut the clock down. So you're going to be in that 20 to 25 point range against Buffalo, right? I think you need more points than that. I think you need big plays, explosiveness. Like just looking at, at, at Baltimore this year, right? They played Pittsburgh. Well, that was that weird COVID game, but they only scored 14. I think Trace McSorley was at quarterback. Yeah. The indie game in week nine, they scored 24, but seven was, I think a uh, pick six. Yeah, it was Chuck Clark jumping over Phillip Rivers. Yeah. Pittsburgh in week eight, they put up 24. Um, Casey in week three, they put up 20. I kind of think that's our who they are. They're they're low 20s. If it's, they're fine with that. If it's a playoff game, right. I just think Buffalo is is high 20s to low 30s, regardless of who they're playing. And I, I don't think, I know Baltimore's defense looked good last week, but I also thought Tennessee's offense looked bad. Yeah. And that missing Corey Davis was a big deal. And they just, they stacked the line on Henry. He never broke one. Tannehill wasn't that good. Like, I, I'm not ready to anoint the Ravens defense as like, oh, they're ready. Here we go. And the fact that this line fell to two and a half, I think it should be three or three and a half. So all the Bills have to do is win by a field goal. And I, and I win this. Like, I like the Bills. They haven't lost since that Hail Mary game. So even if they lost, if they won, they won last week, let's not forget they won, you know, like they did win that game. Um, they're red hot. I I don't know if you guys hit on it on Monday, but like Beasley was so so tough in that yeah, game. Cole Beasley and I talked to the guys in Buffalo. Cole Beasley he couldn't walk last week. He gets out there, he goes seven for seventy or something, mm. and every time he catches a ball, like you got two players picking him up and dragging him back to the line of scrimmage because he can't walk. Gabriel Davis was great, and here's the thing with Josh Allen. He's from California, but he played his college ball in Laramie, Wyoming, where the average temperature after November is 20 degrees and there's some horrible weather. And he's a six foot six brick shithouse who can just throw the ball through a wall. So the weather stuff, it actually gives them the advantage. Lamar, huge advantage. 
I don't know if Lamar, if it's cold and windy and we're in a shootout, if Lamar is going to be able to hit a receiver 60 yards downfield. I don't know about that. I don't think the Ravens want to get into that game. And I just looking like like, looking like 32 degrees with uh, a little a little flurry stuff going. Yeah. Which is what they play in in Baltimore. It's not like it's zero degrees. Um, But Lamar, if you want to get into that, has never played in a snow game, which whatever. I know that stuff is usually proved wrong. Um, Truth the matter is. We've been high on the Bills all season long. We've been saying they've been rolling. We've been saying it feels different. It would feel pretty disingenuous to jump off the Bills train right now. I would argue it's an incredible opportunity because the Ravens are a little overvalued. And I think the Bills are a little undervalued. The only reason you could argue for the two and a half is the Zach Moss piece. Yeah, I think that player. was crucial. It's going to put a lot of pressure on Singletary, and they don't, in my opinion, they don't have another running back. I, you know, I don't know if Singletary is a twenty-five touches yeah. in a cold playoff game guy, but we're going to find out. But the 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 piece that they have, they just get rid of the running backs, have Allen yeah. with everything spread Five out, wide. And Let's go. have him do young Elway stuff. Get, I get get half tackled and flick it to Dawson Knox like that other yeah. guys can't do. The other running back's probably going to be TJ Yeldon, who is in the NFL still and is going to mm, get some amazing. carries for them. Um, they signed Devontae Freeman. To Saw their, that. But I don't know if in three days he can get up to speed to go. Uh, look, they've been really good. They've been really good at home. The fans, I don't think, played too much of a role last week. I don't know if they do it this week. There's only going to be 7,000 in there. Under the lights, I don't think Josh Allen's scared of any of that stuff anymore. I mean, I think the Bills are the play, unless this is just one of those miracle Ravens teams. The Bills have to be furious they're not playing the Steelers. They got to be oh so my mad. Gosh. They got to be like, what the fuck? How do we end up with this potentially frisky Ravens thing? All right, we're going to mark down the Bills minus two and a half. Chiefs minus 10. Browns is the first Sunday game. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is back. Mm hmm. Cleveland's O-line is banged up. It's unclear how many guys are not playing, but it looks like Conklin might be out, which is a semi-big deal. He's a tackle. He was Um, great great last week in the big Kareem Hunt touchdown. He was the one pummeling Hunt into the end zone, and he's he's obviously a good player. So the case for the Browns, you're you're catching Cleveland after they won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, The Connor Shells Super Bowl. Um, You're catching... um, KC, after they've done kind of a Milton Burrow, the Milton Burrow just pulling out enough to win routine for those last seven, eight weeks, they they were on autopilot in a couple different ways. I I don't think they were like going like, man, we got to go all out. And yet they won 23 of 24 games heading into week 17 when they Chad Hennied the, uh, the Chargers game and they lost. The only loss was that dumb Raiders game. And they lost that Raiders game. The Raiders scored 40 points. Yeah. So... The question for me, if the, if the if the Browns are going to hang in this game and if the Browns are going to win this game, they're going to literally have to outscore the Chiefs. I mean, that goes without saying, but like outscore them yeah. in a 40 to 32 kind of Vegas You're recipe right. game. KC's D was 31st against the run. So you can make the case. Cleveland comes out, pound the ball, mm-hmm. alternate the running backs. They come out with a field goal, bad Chiefs drive. Browns get the ball back. All of a sudden, it's ten nothing. Uh, Chubb breaks a forty yarder, and now yeah. now Baker's playing ahead like he was in that Pittsburgh game. And I think they're pretty good when they play ahead. Not that most teams aren't, but even then, though, and Kyle Brant and I were talking about this on the show today. 
let's say you spot them a 28 nothing lead in the first half. Are you taking the Browns to win that game? Even up yeah, 28 nothing? The live betting would be like Chiefs minus 130. Right? Down like, like, yeah. We saw this. Here, here's the other thing um, with the Chiefs, and I think you'll appreciate, because this is the analogy I'm trying to make of it, like, you know, NBA, when Jordan was doing what he was doing, we would always convince ourselves like, oh, if Stockton can hit David Benoit in the corner, like the Jet, and then you do the the Suns and, well, you know, here's Phoenix and Danny Ainge is now there. And you start convincing yourself that like, what if the Chiefs are just the Bulls? And what if the Chiefs are just the Patriots from the early 2000s where you try convincing yourself? Well, if this happened, like I've seen someone, someone made up a stat that I don't even know existed until this Chiefs season. They were like, Patrick Mahomes leads the league in near interceptions like that's a that's a that's not a stat like the Alliance sports bureau is not making that stat that is a fake stat like that is not a real stat um like dropped interceptions i'm like that's what you're arguing with i just feel like the chiefs um they kind of leaning into this like mitchell schwartz had a really good a really good tweet in week 17 he's like i love how everyone's giving aaron Rodgers the mvp because of his week 17 performance when our guy didn't even have to play in week 17 because he was so good there's something to it where it's like we know everyone wants to live in an aaron Rodgers world we know everyone wants to get on the lamar and josh allen trains like we're still the mother effing chiefs like we can still do this and i think they might blow the doors off the browns i you you that was gonna be my last point this feels like a little bit of a fuck you game yeah where they bring all the toys out of the garage. Yep. It was like, oh, yep. we have an M80. Um, yeah. I could see a big Kelsey game. I just feel like anytime they want to, they can move the ball down the field. They, they, they When That's Kelsey true. and Tyreek are out there together, they can always get 11 yards. Always. And, and isn't it, and I've, you know, I've watched them every game this season. I don't have an example of third and six where Mahomes doesn't have that seven-yard scamper out of bounds. It, right. Like he always finds a way. So even if it is this weird shootout or they're down, like I just don't have any empirical data over the last two years of Mahomes not being able to finish. They're down 10 points with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl on third and 15, and he finds a way. Like It's just what he does. And until he doesn't, I'll roll with him. And I love the Brown story. I think they're great. I think it's cool. Kareem Hunt going up against Kansas City is a cool little subplot here. I don't see it. I just don't. Not an arrowhead. I don't love the minus 10, and I'm not going to have a huge bet on it straight up, but I'm just I'm not drawing dead with Browns plus 10 when I know they're not going to win the game. So that would be the third one. I, I think the fact that it's the early game is weirdly good for the Chiefs. I don't know why. I just I could just see yeah. them coming out and kicking butt. Yeah. The last game is Bucks Saints. The Saints beat the Bucks twice. Week one we throw out that was COVID. The other one they kicked their ass. Yeah. Um, Badly. Since since then, Antonio Brown now fully acclimated and awesome. Left guard Ali Marpin is back. Big Apparently deal. that's a big thing. He didn't play the first time. Joe Haig was playing instead. Not not the same as Ali Marpet. Devin White, who did play in the second Saints game, but then has been missing, but now he's back. He he's we, back. They didn't have him last week. He can chase Camara. Um, there's some good Brady. ESPN had a good blog about what's different about the Bucks since this game, and one of them was like Brady's just getting rid of the ball faster. He was like, first nine weeks, 2.43 seconds in the pocket for each throw. Now, since week 10, it's 2.23. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams are starting to blitz the shit out of him. 19.1% blitzes per drop back weeks one through nine. Now 36.3% weeks 10 through the wild card, but his passer rating went up 96 to 127.8. I watched Brady for 20 years. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a Patriots fan. I've heard. Yeah. 
blitzing Brady is just never a good idea. Yeah. He can he's always gonna figure out which guy is coming and all that stuff. The way to beat him is the Giants recipe of just push the four guys, make them uncomfortable, and then send a lot of guys back. So and when Brady doesn't have it, he does that little thing where he throws it into the ground and Yeah, like, he gets rid of it. And he gets rid of it. He's smart. He's like, I'm not gonna try to be a hero. And it's the ultimate frustration for a defense. It does feel like he's figured out um how to click with Antonio Brown. Yep. And I think the Godwin thing, you know, got and Godwin had some drops on four drops last on, week. Week one, which probably cost the cover. That to me, that's one of the reasons there feels like there's an opportunity with the Bucks because that was a dumb Washington game where they they win by eight. They really should have won by like thirty. And Brady looked really good. He like he's he, looked really good for weeks now. He, he looked awesome last week. And I know people might have woken up and saw the score, didn't stay up for the ending. Like it was a one score game. I mean, Washington kept it there, but Brady wasn't his fault. Brady was awesome last week. And then on the flip side, the Saints last week, where Mims drops the touchdown. Yeah. They're one they're one awesome play with Mitch. And Kinda then cool. it's still seven three forever. Yeah. Then and then finally sides. Yeah, the, and the Bears finally fall apart. But the Bears suck. And yeah. I thought their defense was really doing stuff. I like this Bucks team. I my fear with the Bucks is from an efficiency um Bit well-oiled machine thing, which was a Brady staple in the couple of the yeah. Patriots years, where you're just like, "Wow, he's we might have 40 completions today. We might have 32 first downs." They, they they're they're choppy, right? Yep. There's this guy will drop this play. Yep. Brady misses this guy. It was third and two, and Cam Braid it went off his hand. Like Someone they, went on the inside route. Should have been outside. Brady yeah, shaking his head. A lot of Brady yeah. staring yep. at the dude, and they can't. But they get big plays. They get these 35-yard, 40-yard, like they they it's like a home run team. And I think that's what you need to be against the Saints. Yeah. Um they're, look, they're they're all coming back. Like I can't stress enough how important Devin White is out there. So last week, Roquan Smith was huge not having him for the Bears. So Kamara right. was able to get, you know, frisky, whatever. Devin White runs a four four five forty, um, was you know, an absolute standout and then he and Levante David the hope is the two of them can handle and if you went back and watched that first game and I did the Saints Bucks which was terrible for the Bucks um two really bad special teams plays like a weird right. squib kick that was a mistake and then Brady looked off and I just and then the next one it was just embarrassing and that was the nadir of the season it was like what are we going to be here like we can't lose on on you know for the national audience in primetime at home to the Saints like this I feel like they're such a better team now and um, the vibe out of Tampa and like Bruce Arians is, is, is a cool dude. And he, his whole thing is like, we're super bowl or bust baby. Like, it's not this like one game at a time thing. It's like, we've got a mission here and we know we're an all-star team and we know we've been patched together here, but we are out to win a super bowl. Um, Antonio Brown, when gets another, you know, quarter million dollars, if they win the super bowl, there's all sorts of incentives for all these short-term contracts that they built in. And with Brady, it's like it's kind of playing with house money right now. Like I feel like he, if he, if they lost in the divisional round, all right, like first year, maybe next year he comes back and we see what happens. For the Saints, if it's not now, it's not happening. Like I feel right. like that might be weighing in on this. And I don't know. I just everyone that is a part of the Buccaneers, the way they're talking about Brady is the same stuff you'd hear about New England, where it's like this guy is just the man. Right. Like twenty-year-old like kid wants to follow him. Black guys, white guys, women on staff. Everyone's like, he is just emanates cool. And yeah. there's a confidence. And it's like, they will not be intimidated going into that game this Sunday night. 
the only thing you left out is just Breeze coming off the eleven broken ribs and the ball. The ball is just in the air. It's it's on location every time, but it's in the air for a while. He can't really move around anymore. They're always trying to do gimmicks with Taysom Hill coming in, stuff like that. And uh, it just feels like this Saints team is being held together by Band-Aids and Saran Wrap a little bit. Yeah, and Latavius Murray. Yeah, Thursday, Latavius Murray still hasn't practiced. Taysom Hill still hasn't practiced. Uh, Michael Thomas, uh, you know, he played last week, but is he fully Michael Thomas? You could pick apart this team. The truth of the matter is... Um, Marshawn Lattimore has owned Mike Evans over the course of his career. So yeah. let's say that's a wash right there. And then you've got to rely on, on the other guys. Um, the other one is this, you know, we've had a blast with this CJ Gardner Johnson. What I, he's changed his name three times. I'm not trying to insult the guy, but like he is the Patrick Beverly of the NFL just is a complete agitator. Like if he can get inside of Antonio Brown's head, if he can cause Mike Evans, to oh, pop so you off, know, he's going to go after Antonio Brown. Oh, this is this is everything you can imagine. This is Isaiah whispering. I mean, this is everything as far as agitators go. It's Claude Lemieux on a football team. This and is my fear with uh, the 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 blueprint for me for getting fucked on this Bucks pick would be it's, one it's of those games. Antonio or, Brown gets kicked yeah. out. The punt returner drops first it. quarter. Yeah, uh, yep. the, the Bucks run some Bruce Arians testosterone play and it ends up it's a flea flicker that gets picked like that they fuck the game up more than the saints win the game is my fear but here's my question for you it's possible you've watched football season are the saints going to beat the bucks yeah. three times in a four-month span they're that much better than the bucks because i i think that sounds ridiculous i'd be i know but it's in new orleans i get and it and their defense is really good it, I personally, you and I, I'm taking the Bucks. I think I just can't see them losing three times, but I wouldn't be shocked, obviously, if the Saints are like, we're on a mission. The whole thing with the Saints, you know, I said it last week. It's like, this is it. Like, this is the core. And they've been through so much together with the Minneapolis Miracle and the Nikhil Roby yeah. Coleman. And, and then the Bucks, it's like, what are we really invested in here? Like, yeah, we'd like to win, but it's not like we've been through the wars together. I feel like one team is like playing for you know a decade's worth of grief while the other team is an all-star team that's the argument for the saints that this is a bigger deal than just you know we're playing the buccaneers in a game well what about inside inside brady turf brady i like dome turf brady. brady like so I love they had dome brady they had uh this year that the Saint. i'm throwing the saints gamer away in week one played in vegas week seven 45 points mm-hmm uh, Atlanta week 15, 31 and Detroit week 16, 47. But in general, Brady was always good indoors. I, yeah, I always, all the Pats fans were like, cool. We're indoors. Brady loves being indoors. Yeah. Including super bowls. Right. Yeah. So here, well, here was, except uh, for the ones in Glendale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or Minnesota. No. And so there was another, uh, team. One of the guys who works for the team texted me like last week before Washington Tampa and said, Something no one's talking about. Brady's 43 years old. He's in great shape, all this stuff. Look at him in primetime this year. He's been terrible in primetime, especially outdoors. Oh, because of the sleep thing? Yeah. Yeah, because of his whole deal with his sleep regiment and the game starts at 9 o'clock. This game starts at 6.30. 
Yeah. But it is indoors, and then the fact that they won last week outdoors with an 8 p.m. start, I don't think it's such a problem. But if you look at it, there is something to it. I don't know the Alex Guerrero TB12 method, but Brady has been significantly worse at night than he has been during the early It's because he goes to bed at like 9. Yeah, and he's like on a schedule. But some games are played at 9. We're going to take a break and come back and do million-dollar picks. Listen up, football fans. I got the perfect way to make the playoffs even more exciting this weekend. It's called a same-game parlay bet, and they're only available on FanDuel Sportsbook. Same-game parlay bet lets you combine multiple bets from a single game for an even bigger win during round two. Combine the money line, the over-under, player props, all in one parlay. Best of all, FanDuel is letting you protect your parlay. That's right. You can place a three-plus same-game parlay and get the up to $25 back if you fall one leg short with same-game parlay insurance. The playoffs the perfect time to give one a shot. It's one of the many reasons you could win and you should win on FanDuel. I have an awesome same game parlay coming up later that involves uh, the tight end on the Chiefs. That would be my spoiler alert for that. Uh, but again, one of the awesome things about FanDuel Sportsbook, if you haven't already downloaded the app and signed up to get started, use my promo code BS at sign up. That is promo code BS to sign up. And if you're a current customer, then you're all set. Go check out Same Game Parlays, only available on FanDuel Sportsbook. Must be 21 plus and present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Illinois, Iowa, or Tennessee. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, $25 per day. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm going to throw some fun bets at you that we're not necessarily doing before we get to million-dollar picks, just so you can... Lowest scoring team. Rams are plus 260. Mm-hmm. Highest scoring team, Bills are plus 550, Packers plus 550. Okay. I like, uh, do you want, want my two cents on this? No, if if I'm just throwing stuff out of anything delights you, just just ra- what, raise your hand. Where are the Chiefs with the highest scoring team? Well, they're the favorites. They're like plus okay. 240. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm Neither just one of those that... I'm jumping on. I, the Rams are too obvious, and I feel like there's going to be some weird shit in that game. Well, Chiefs plus 240 is obviously I was circling that one. How about this? <laughs> Will any round two game go to overtime? Plus two ten. So basically, you're Buffalo? getting ran, you're getting the Buffalo game, which feels Does very feel over. Like it feels a little overtimey. I think Bucks Saints feels a little overtimey. You could also. Do will any of the last seven playoff games go to overtime plus 160, which I think is a better deal because you get next week's games and the Super next Bowl. Next week. It's seven of them. Yeah, let's do that one. Let's do that one. <laughs> you like that the one? Next two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Right. I can put <laughs> one down for overtime. Goff passing yards over yeah. under 219.5. Under. That seems high. That seems high. Under. They're going to win this game with Cam Akers running the ball. That's how they're going to win this game. They're not going to ask Goff to throw that many yards. Under. That seems like an under. Uh, this is a same game parlay on FanDuel. Rodgers, two plus pass TDs. Packers win. That's minus 184 combined. I, there's something to what you said about Aaron Jones and uh, you know, AJ Dillon being the game breakers in this one. I, I, I mean, that's It's the number one defense in the league. And if it's not that, Ramsey, this other kid, Darius Williams, is awesome. I don't see them throwing the ball over the yard. Yeah, I thought that odds seemed too high. This one's interesting. Lamar, 100-plus rush yards. Ravens win 4-1. to one. So you could argue if the Ravens are going to win, Lamar's going to have to have a game like he had last week. 
Yeah. Right? So Lamar ran for 136 last week, but yeah. one of them was the 45-yard touchdown. The other was the game ceiling 35. So you're basically saying you need two big runs from Lamar. I would say you need one. And by the way, I don't think they can win the game if he doesn't have a like a 40-yard run, right? You're right. Yeah. I actually so anyway. okay, 4 to 1. I'm in. I, I like it. I don't love well, it. Well, I don't I, like I don't it. think the Ravens can win. I just thought those odds were good. This one I really liked. Kelsey 100 plus receiving yards. Chiefs win. Plus one ninety six, almost two to yeah. one odds. Yeah, remember so last year. So basically, did the one Kelsey like thirty eight yarder over the middle, and then six ten yarders, and you're there. Yeah, um, they played the Browns either last year or two years ago, and Kelsey went nuts. Had one of the coolest touchdown catches you'll ever see. Uh, I like the Kelsey one. I do. You, do you know about the Texas Tech Oklahoma game from twenty sixteen? Do you know about that? No, tell me. Mahomes played. Mayfield in a college game and their history is incredible. So when Mahomes went on a recruiting trip to Texas Tech in 2013, his host was Mayfield. Mayfield was the redshirt quarterback for Kingsbury at Texas Tech. They play video games. They go out for a steak dinner. And after this steak dinner and video games with Mayfield, Mahomes is like, I'm coming to Texas Tech. Commits. Mayfield has a falling out with the program. He got injured. He leaves. He transfers to Oklahoma. They play three years later in Texas Tech. And everyone at Texas Tech is wearing T-shirts that says Trader with Mayfield's face on it. Baker goes on to throw seven touchdown passes in the game. Mahomes throws for 740 yards. And the final score is 66 to 59. And Mahomes attempts 88 passes in the game. It's one of the greatest college football games like for Jesus. an offensive. It's just fun. These two, though, I, I just feel like there's a chance that these two get in a little tit-for-tat action. And Mahomes went up against them a couple years when they played Browns Chiefs and went absolutely bonkers. I feel like it's pretty personal between them. I think Mahomes might go scorched earth in this game. That's a good nugget. I think Mayfield could also go, you want to uh, burn your tits off after you bet on him in this game because you forgot that he's Baker Mayfield and he's hit or miss every NFL yeah. game. Um, all right. I'm going to feel big, these big bets on out. Homes. That's what the lesson is. Big, big on Mahomes this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a test run here before we lock these in. Okay. So we know we like Bills minus two and a half. Okay. There's two ways. I want to put the Packers and Chiefs together. There's two ways to go here. You could do Chiefs Packers money line tease. Uh, I'm sorry, money line parlay. So they just have to win. Chiefs Packers, just both to win is minus 172. The one seeds. Chalk. So you bet, you, you're basically betting 860,000 to win 500,000. Yep. And the Chiefs aren't losing to the Browns. So it would basically be Jared Goff beating the Packers. That would be that one. Or you could do a Packers Chiefs six and a half point tease, which is minus 120. You take the Packers to even, you take the Chiefs to three and a half, and you open the door to get screwed last on some last second garbage time Field touchdown, goal. whatever. Yeah. Out of those two, which one do you like? The latter. You like the tease. Yeah. Do you yeah, like I, chi I, Chiefs minus four or Chiefs to minus three and a half? Minus four. I, I feel that confident. I feel like Andy's going to empty the bag and they've just been sitting and waiting and they're going to come out guns blazing. I, and I know Browns fans are listening like, who is this? Like, why am I so anti-Browns? I'm not. I just feel like this is pro-Chiefs. I actually don't. Is there a way you can get the uh, 
the Packers under involved there? I don't think the Packers light it up on on Saturday. I, I really don't. Unders, I'm. A, I I just I've wisely stayed fun. away. F- no, I've wisely stayed fun. away from them forever. And we saw why last week with Rams Seahawks yeah. that a game that went game. over by seven and a half points. And you like like people will be studying that a hundred years from now. Um, <laughs> okay, Bucks. Two possibilities for the Bucks could go. Could t- so you could take the Bucks and make them plus three and a half, and it'd okay. be minus one twenty five. Okay. Um, you do a Packers money line with the Bucks, plus three and a half is plus one thirty eight. Could do Bucks plus three and a half minus one twenty five, just that straight up, or just bet the Bucks plus three. Mm-hmm. Which one sounded like- the tastiest to you? I the. I would hate for you to be out of this thing by Saturday if there was some freak deal with the Rams and the Packers. I would go strictly Bucks, mm. and I think the last one you said just three, just three, not even, up. not even buying the half point. No, I would go just three. Well, the other move is if you think the Bucks are going to actually win the game. Yes, I do. That is plus one forty-two on Fanduel. Can you pair those together and Bucks? Oh, the pair together. That's interesting. <laughs> Kyle. It wasn't Kyle's like, you don't even have to edit this, Kyle, because I'm I'm gonna you hear my excitement out. in real time. Bucks <laughs> plus one forty two. Packers minus three twenty is plus two eighteen. Is it worth it? That's pretty good. Well, I would say if I could get the Bucks plus three and a half at the plus one thirty eight, I think that's a safer bet because then Same I'm covered. Yeah. If I think Go it's it. close, um, and then we like golf passing yards under. We'll put a little on that. I think so. Do, can you get Cam Akers total yards in this game? Cam Akers total yards. Let I feel me like find he's gonna out. be the, the whole offense receiving, running. You know, they're, they've got to rely on him. Oh, wow, look at this, Cam Akers. Rushing and receiving yards combined, 94 and a half. I like it. Is the over. I like it. The rule is never bet overs in, in the playoffs because of uh, because everyone bets the overs and they, they know that, so they fuck you on it. But do we think Cam Akers can get to 95 rushing and receiving combined? Yes. Okay. All right. Would you rather do that one or Jared Goff? Cam Akers. Okay. Because yeah, the Jared Goff, they could be down 20. He's throwing it every down. There you go. You get right. your deep pass to Van Jefferson, and we're screwed. Okay. All right. Million Dollar Picks, round two with Good Luck Charm, Peter Schrager. Last week, we won $847,000. We were only down 85000 for the season. Our first bet, going big on the Buffalo Bills. We believe in the Bills. T- minus two and a half over the Ravens. $550,000 to win 500000 Next bet. We're teasing the Packers down to a half point against mm-hmm. the Rams. All they have to do is win by a point, teasing them down with the Chiefs, making them Chiefs minus four, putting 550 to win 500K on that. If the Chiefs, they win by four of that bet, I think that side pushes and it gets weird, but you don't lose. Uh, next one. We're just going to go, just going to do it. 550 to win. Oh, it's actually less than that. It's because it's it's uh, minus 104. So 520 to win 500 bucks minus three 
I'm not going to buy the half point. I believe in you, Tom Brady. It's the most vanilla standard. It's so fun. Let's go. And then just so we have money on the straight up in every game, we'll put we'll put 50K on Chiefs minus 10, 50K on, on Packers minus six and a half. And then we'll put another 50K, Cam Akers over 94 and a half yards. And then we'll put 25K on Travis Kelsey, 100 plus receiving yards in the Chiefs win. That's plus 196. And then just for shits and giggles, 25K in the Chiefs to be our highest scoring team at plus 240. I feel good about that group in Peter Schrager. Oh, my God. I feel great about it. I can't wait. Let's play. Let's go. You don't like that I went against the Rams. Something about the Rams scares you. but No, I, I, you but, could tell. Yeah. You could tell. I, I can't pick against them. I just feel like, and yes, I, I am friendly with the coach and all that, and that's whatever. But I, I just genuinely feel like this is one of those bizarre games early on Saturday and the Rams could pull out some crazy shit. So all maybe right. I lose 35 nothing, and I'm proven wrong, but I wouldn't have been all in on the Packers 6.5 and, and all that stuff. All noted. Um, I'm going to hop on the Jared Goff with pins in his thumb in Lambo and 30 degree weather horse. And I'm going to ride it like secretariat. Peter Schrager. Go. Thanks for coming on as always. You're the best dude. Thank you. That's it for the BS podcast. I'll see you again on Sunday night with cousin Sal right after the fourth playoff football game. If you want to get a head start on the rewatchables, got first blood coming on Monday. Slice Stallone. One of the greatest action movies ever made. Yeah, that's coming. So you can uh, you can watch that. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. We will see you Sunday night.